0: Texas talking, you what was that that you said? Texas talking,
1: ah, going up beside your head. Texas talking, ah, tell me who can you trust when Texas goes on and Texas goes on. Texas goes
2: on and Hi, this is Hunter Rawlings, president of the Association of American Universities. We're the association of leading American research universities like UT Austin, Texas A&M, and Rice University. Welcome to the Texas Tribune Tripcast. Thank you, and you'll notice that this is not the voice of Reeve Hamilton. I'm Ross Ramsey, and with me is our editor-in-chief and CEO and the guy in the corner office, Evan Smith. Hey, Reeve. <laughs> <laughs> the guy in the next office, our editor, Emily Ramshaw.
0: Wait, I'm not a guy.
2: You're those guys? You know, you're one of those guys. Those people in the glass office. Can Emily have it all?
0: I can. She can. Have <laughs> Emily can have it all. Evan, I'd like a raise.
2: And a Talk normal Robert, person. Robert Draper will be happy to provide We also you have with a raise. normal person with us, a mom of the Normal person means I don't have an office.
0: Oh. Wow. Zing.
1: <laughs>
2: it, means <laughs> have a li- it, it means you have a life. <laughs> that intro leads uh, us nicely no. into. For the our. moment.
0: I'm, I'm not sure he has a life. You don't think so? No. He works for us. <laughs> Ooh, I want, I want, good
2: one. I want Reeve back all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, that intro leads us words nicely words into. Words that in four and a half years have never been uttered. First <laughs> subject, which is UT. Sigaroa is leaving. Evan Smith will explain. Well, I don't
1: know that I have <laughs> anything to explain.
2: Evan Smith wrote the story. Evan Smith it. wrote a story. Got I a was making mine. mashed potatoes, <laughs> yeah. and I said to
1: Julia, put the spoon down. I'm, I'm giving you the spoon. Here it is. I'm going to write the story. I mean, this literally happened this sun, is Sunday, Sunday night. this literally what happened. Um, uh, the chancellor of the University of Texas System, Francisco Cigarro, who's been in the job since January of 2009, so basically five years, um, made the decision apparently without – um, a whole lot of advance warning, at least many of us out in the world who think there are no secrets anymore, did not know this was coming. Let's credit Ralph Harwitz of the American statesman, who broke the story uh, first, uh, that so- sources had told the statesman that uh, the following day at a Monday press conference, Chancellor Cigarro was going to announce his intention to step down from that job, return to medicine, the practice of medicine. He's a famous pediatric transplant surgeon. He formerly was the president of the University of Texas Health Science Center of San Antonio. He is going back to that institution. He was president
2: or head of pediatrics. I believe he was the president
1: of that institution. Am I mistaken? He was. He was there. I thought he was president. Well, you may be, may be correct about that. But uh, but in any case, he was there. Right. He is coming back uh, uh, to that institution to head the
2: pediatric transplant.
0: He was the president for almost nine years at the UT Health Science Center at San Antonio.
2: According to Evan Smith's story, right?
0: Correct. <laughs> Actually, to Alexa Yura's story. To much much more Yura's detailed story. than Evans.
1: I, I wouldn't trust me. Right. <laughs> She's an actual reporter. <laughs> okay. I there just make mashed potatoes. Uh, so she, uh, in any case, Cigaro is going <laughs> back like to what head we do here
0: on a daily on a daily basis. basis. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Uh, He's going back to head the pediatric surgical uh, team uh, there. And, you know, let's say, number one, five years uh, in the job of chancellor of any university system, and particularly of late this one.
2: Well, what is that in dog years? I mean, these regents have been sitting on these guys.
1: Well, I I think if you're the chancellor of a university system, and especially of this university system, and especially, especially of this university system lately, this is a job that has an enormous, um, takes a lot of road miles right, right to get this done.
0: Um, it sounded like a terrible job of late. I mean, you go from being a pediatric transplant surgeon to a place where it's all politics all the time.
1: And you're having to push against the regents and the system administration on the one hand and the universities and specifically UT Austin and specifically, specifically Bill Powers and the governor. And you're kind of the guy in the middle.
2: It's weird when you go do transplants on kids to relax. Yeah, I know. Seriously. (laughs) Get away from your job.
1: I I need a break from my job. He does does it like every month, right? I think (laughs) I'll open up (laughs) a kid, right. Right. Um,
3: What is the recruiting pitch you give to someone to replace him?
1: Well, lately?
2: (laughs) Well, this is a problem, actually, because, you know, you you come in and you say, who's your boss going to be?
1: It's like, you know. You know, Chris Christie is looking for a new chief of staff. I'm sure there's a long line around the block for that job. Look, look the, the I issue. Couldn't here, get to
2: the interview. I was in traffic. Right. right? That's easy. the
1: the the issue here is uh is I think you know, so let's accept that Sigaroa did a very difficult job to the best of his ability. Fine. Next paragraph. What actually happened? Right. He says, and the official story is, you know, it was time, opportunity to go back to UT Health Science Center and to do this job came up. The window to take that job was closing. So I took it. But of course, there will always be suspicions that um, there's another story.
0: Yes, there's a lot of eye rolling in this room. Right.
2: <laughs> did you hear
1: that? <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and you know, the thing is, uh, uh, he very publicly did not fire Bill Powers or recommend the firing of Bill Powers at the last opportunity for such uh, uh, an act to be perpetrated. And one imagines if one or more of the anti-Powers regents uh, decided after he made the decision
2: that Powers should not go, that he, Sigaraw, should go. I think that more than one imagines that. I think – you know, I've been hearing that a lot from people who right. think that – you know this. I think it was December when he did this sort of semi-uncomfortable endorsement of Powers. You're doing a pretty good job here, but I'd watch out for this and this. And it was – you know, it was almost right. like a – A public scolding warning. Yeah, it was a, you know, an endorsement hidden in a scolding. And then, you know, here within 90 days, Siguro is gone.
0: Well, and some of the, you know, staunchest UT advocates like Senator Judy Zaffarini have basically come out and said as much publicly, which is basically that, you know, Siguro was pushed it, you know, in the aftermath of, the, uh, of refusing to fire powers.
1: So the story will come out or it won't. My suspicion is it probably will come out in some form what actually happened because we have access to things that
2: might tell us So how do they hire the here? I mean, story. you've got a lame duck governor. Well, you've got four regents, sometimes plus one, sometimes not, who are, who are the, railing at the UT Austin administration. That's, like,
1: that's the issue. Who would want this job at this time? Well, society? there's A, who'd want the job. And I suspect that there will be people who will come. I mean, it's a little bit like the coach of the University of Texas football team. Right, right. There were people who said, "Well, on the one hand, who would want that it's job? The worst
2: job I always wanted." On the <laughs> other hand,
1: it's the damn Texas football team. Right. right. Well,
0: and people keep showing up despite. I mean, the you know the new UT Medical School just got some hot Ray shot Ray
1: Greenberg from hot from shot
0: from new dean College
1: who, of Charleston or somewhere in South Carolina. Some, some, some. Oh, you mean he was the? In oh, you mean Dell the the Medical? Dell medical, right. Del medical. But I'm talking yeah. about also the guy who just came in as vice chancellor for health services, replacing um, what is his name who was there forever? Ken. The, can shine. shine. I mean, right. that guy, so big names that's are still rolling name, in the door. In. But, I, but I think the other question here, beyond who would want this job, is the political hot potato uh, that that this job now becomes in the context of a governor's race. Right. Right. You know, Chancellor Cigaroa stayed for five years. So let's assume that the Regents, under Rick Perry, and at Rick Perry's direction, with Rick Perry's blessing, pick a Perry esque chancellor. And that person stays five years, like Sigaroa. That person's tenure as chancellor extends beyond the first term of the next governor, Governor Abbott or Governor Davis. Many people in the UT orbit believed that the quickest route back to Kumbaya in the relationship between the system and the university was to hold on to the side of the vehicle until Perry was out Mm -hmm. and Abbott or Davis was in.
2: Get a new chancellor. Get a new chancellor.
1: And or, presumably and, a right. new President UT, and then everybody goes off together, kind of arm in arm down the, down the path. Now, uh, you have the possibility, if not the likelihood, if not the damn certainty, of a choice that will be viewed as political in the Rick Perry direction, and both Abbott and Davis have no choice but to eat it.
2: Well, you know, what was interesting was Sigaroa got hired and was not Perry's choice. Perry's choice was John Monfort. It was John Monfort. Mm-hmm. Right. And, it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, he sort of started as the— you know, not not the political choice. And What's and so, Montfort doing now? Well...
0: <laughs> Was that pre all of the regents being sort of so closely aligned with Perry...
2: Well,
1: yeah, James Huffines was, I, right. I think, still mm-hmm.
0: in the chair
2: of the
1: board there. And a number of the pro-Perry Regents or Perry allies, the strongest Perry, because everybody is appointed by
0: right. Perry. So to be clear, the Regents... Uh,
2: bucked, bucked Perry yeah, in that The right. Regents named the reg- this, not, the, right. not but, the governor.
0: But were the Regents at that time as closely aligned with Perry as they are now? I mean, like at this point, would the Regents well, choose someone well, they, who wasn't Perry? Well, they were, but I choice? think the
1: definition of closely aligned with Perry and the environment within mm-hmm. higher ed and the relationship between the Regents and the governor at that time a mile from where we are now.
0: Right, exactly. So if I'm Perry, I'm pushing them to, you know, choose somebody fast to my liking. Could you imagine that, I mean, just let's just say this out loud. Could you
1: imagine that Rick Perry comes up with a candidate of his liking, the sort of candidate who Rick Perry would want in that job? And Alex Cranberg, Brenda Povich, Wallace Hall, Gene Powell, oppose Perry's choice? I mean, you'd have to believe that there would be Perry-associated regents, allies on the board, who would buck Perry... And, and I mean, in, I think the way that it happened with Montford and Cigaroa, the likelihood of that
2: transpiring again this time—well, but is, it just happened again. So, it, it just happened. A variation on it happened again at A and M just this a minute ain't, ago. This you know, ain't Perry A&M. had a Perry had a favorite for president of the main campus. The Regents, all of whom were appointed by Perry, and their chancellor, who was sort of blessed by Perry and named by those Regents, went. Ah, we're going to go yeah. somewhere else. This
1: ain't that.
0: Where right? I should know this? Where did Abbott go to college?
2: Vanderbilt and University of Texas.
1: University of Texas. You know the joke. Went, yep. We have a story today by Alexa Yura on the site about Abbott and Perry mm-hmm. emerging, right? Kind of you know, hand in hand Perry's, on the campaign trail.
0: Perry's hosting a, or helping host a fundraiser. With a, as
1: we in this room all know, even Todd knows. This. Was it Vanderbilt? <laughs> as we he went to Vanderbilt to graduate. Yes. Yeah, as, as we all know, uh, uh, the talk on the street has been that Greg Abbott, should he win, is basically Rick Perry's fifth term as governor. And the Abbott allies mm-hmm. say, no, 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 that's not true. There are substantive differences between Perry. And Abbott, the theory being that it's Rick Perry's fifth term because Abbott is materially no different than mm-hmm. Perry on most issues. The Abbott allies say, no, 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 there are, there are big differences. And so, OK, what are the big differences? Well, Abbott doesn't hate UT. That's the joke.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm asking that seriously. You right. know, when Perry's out, is that sort of the end of the A&M love fest era? You know, is is UT suddenly the favorite child?
2: Back to where it used to
0: if be. Abbott right. – yeah, if Abbott I, if the, is, I think the governor? X's
1: are – Counting the days, they're a little bit like those, uh, mo- you know, prisoners in a movie that you know, make the X's on the, right. on
3: the yeah, date on the away. calendar.
2: Well, this was a subtext of the Perry Hutchison race. Mm-hmm. You know, the you know Longhorn Nation was not completely, but largely with Hutchison, A and M Nation. You know, the twelfth man, whatever you want to call it, was largely with with Perry in that thing. And mm-hmm. there was sort of a you know look at what he's doing to the university underneath that on some level. Uh, you know, it's a long fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so who wants to get into universities and who can get into universities? We have this big app up that says eighth graders in Texas Not basically many people. don't get in and don't stay once they're in. It's just over 50% get in, 52-something
0: I mean, the numbers are really atrocious. So we launched this app um, in partnership with the Houston Endowment this week that's a look at basically college um, completion rates, and and college includes any kind of post-secondary degree so so that I get the stats right. This is – it's an eighth-grade cohort that we look at. So among Texans who started eighth grade in 2001, less than one in five of them will complete any kind of college degree or certificate within 11 years. Which is within
2: 11 years of eighth grade or within, within 11, 11 year. years
0: of eighth grade uh-huh. or within six years of graduating from high school, if they even make it that far. So the numbers are, I mean, remarkably, they're way worse than that if you're a minority or if you're underprivileged. Uh, if you're a minority and you're impoverished, only nine out of every 100 eighth graders get a degree within 11 years. Um the other fact that I found kind of fascinating is that in every category, every ethnicity uh, every um, you know financial situation, women are leading men by like several percentage points so
2: so more women get more their women degrees. get their degrees
0: or certificates in texas right now I think it's
1: twenty three percent female versus sixteen percent male yeah what, what, what I thought was yep. fascinating in the app was that uh gender mattered gender mattered uh, socioeconomic status mattered if you 're a poor kid white african American or hispanic you we were much less likely. I think it was um, uh, yep. all under, all, in all cases, in all three, white, African American, Hispanic, uh, less than 10% right. of the eighth graders who began in 2001, if you're a poor kid. Uh, uh, completion.
0: Yeah, disadvantaged kids trail uh, advantage kids by almost 20, per, uh, 20 percentage points, which is humongous v- Very significant. Right.
1: Right. Region matters. There were 20 regions in Texas that we looked at and in 12 of the regions the completion rates were above the statewide. Urban completion regions rate. were
2: less likely to be well,
1: well, but so in 8 of them the, the completion rate was less than the statewide completion rate and two of the regions that lagged behind the statewide completion rate were the Dallas area region right. and the San Antonio area
0: region. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. But the Dallas area, if you cracked it, you know, and looked at Collin County, it was higher than normal. But if you looked at Dallas County, it was much lower than normal.
0: You know, what's most fascinating about all of this to me is that we spend so much time, you know, speculating around the the politics and the who's in and the who's out at these, you know, big flagship universities in Texas. And you look at the numbers and as a state, you know, <laughs> we're not even affecting the people who actually, you know, need to be part of this conversation. I mean, there is virtually nobody going to college yeah. Or getting so, any kind of certificate and degree. So we
2: should point out there's a couple of holes in this mm. and, and that are sort of baked into the cake here that we pointed out in the story and we point out in the app. It doesn't include – graduations from colleges outside of Texas where the kids don't come back to Texas. Correct. They they basically fall off the map. Correct.
0: If the kids come back to the state, they're counted. But if they stay out of state, if they never come back to Texas, Texas has sort of no way to know where they ended up.
2: Right. And there's a couple of other holes. It also
0: doesn't account for kids who go into the military or there are certain kinds of sort of technical apprenticeship programs that aren't counted. But community colleges counted, um, you know, associates degrees and other kinds of professional certificates are counted in this. So, you know, Aside from losing the kids who move away and never return, um, I think these numbers are probably the best look yet at, at you know, college and, and completion and certificates in Texas.
2: And one of the you know minor frustrations of this was that you don't have this data. We, nobody has this data that we know of for other states, so it's hard to get a comparative. But right. it does get around some of the dropout conversations. You know, there's this big argument about whether the dropout rate is this or that. And there's mm-hmm. you know eleven or twelve numbers out there, right? But well, this sort of gets past all of and that. And
3: didn't someone in the story say that they weren't sure of the other states' data, but they do know we're behind California.
0: Right. Yes. Yep.
2: Look, this is the state this, that this has can't been, be good. I mean, it, can, it's probably, no, not, it right. can't be.
0: I mean, this is
1: a state that has been talking about closing the gaps. That's in fact the phrase that is associated with the effort closing mm-hmm. the gap, um, to try to get. Non-white kids up to the level of of white kids in terms of the well, not even rights.
0: white kids are doing well. <laughs>
1: no, no, but you'd rather be a rich white woman than a poor black man or a poor black Hispanic, mm-hmm. based on the <laughs> I mean, poor uh, poor Hispanic man, man. <laughs> poor Hispanic man. Right, right. Smith, the- ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm just thinking about mashed potatoes, uh, <laughs> the, the, because you know honestly there are categories along the along mm-hmm. the way where you think, you know, okay, this is a much better situation right. to be in, but even that situation is not ideal. Um, it, it, it means that we have as a state an enormous amount of work for, f- cut out for us at a time where we're dedicating fewer and fewer dollars to right. funding of higher ed.
0: Now, it may take right? more than six years for some people to complete college if they're doing it part-time, if they're working at the same time. So, you know, this is an 11-year look.
1: but Six I s- years is a long freaking time
0: I mean some not folks, necessarily yeah some folks oh might God. argue if you're, that if you, were, were, you know I mean oh, the I'll argument
1: grant you that the old four year graduation or completion rate is outmoded I kind of think six years is like
2: part of the argument here I mean one of the
1: it's one like of everyone the, is Wooderson and days and confused well, one of the even,
2: one of the quick arguments here is that if you're more affluent you have the money not to have to work your way through school and mm-hmm. have a greater likelihood of getting through in four or five years than if you have to work your way through school and it takes seven or eight and, you know you've got you know you you may yeah. You may sweat it out, but what you've if, got to got to hold a job while you're getting. What if
0: you're an 18 year old single mom with two kids?
1: Okay, but so th- I, I mean, but, just... but, I, but I think that, that <laughs> well, what, what that does though balling. is that actually <laughs> yeah. highlights the challenge for this state, right, in making certain that there are adequate resources provided to people in those situations. So that because the best thing for everybody's mm-hmm. sake is to get people in and get them out. Mm-hmm. Diana Natalicio, the president of UTEP, has been talking for years about the the disparity among kids who go to college whether it's four-year, two-year, what have you, some get on the express train, some get on the local train. We shouldn't be talking about the speed. We should be talking about the destination. Ultimately, what matters is that they get off the train eventually. Well, it's in everybody's interest for that train to be more of an express train than a local train, simply because kids who get in and out of school, get into the workforce, they begin to make money.
0: Well, it's also cheaper to get in and out faster. Cheaper
1: to get in and out faster, and, and also it's it frees for the up state. and right. Right. It frees
0: up slots.
2: Right.
1: You know, we hear all the time about how, especially at some of these big university campuses, access to admissions slots on those campuses has been made harder and harder over time. Ten percent rule has been an element Six of that, now. but right. not only. The more kids who get in and out, the more slots there are for kids who want to get in. Um, you know, it's a big it's a big honking problem. Mm-hmm. And I think the point that you made was really interesting about public ed's got its own problem with completion. And maybe right. the numbers that we provided are a little bit cleaner than the numbers that we typically get on the graduation well, this, rate front. This
2: school. doesn't necessarily point the finger at this isn't deficiency of the public schools or a deficiency of higher ed. It's the continuum of the thing. I mean if right. the state wants to talk through about K through sixteen instead of K through twelve. This is a K through K-16 issue here, well, it and does you're looking at, to, looking at 8 through...
1: But I think it points to one aspect of this that we probably don't have time to go into today, but, you know, the fact that HB 5, the landmark legislation that came out of last session, is likely to, in the minds of a number of critics, including the current commissioners of education and higher education in the state of Texas, is likely to reduce the amount of rigor required of kids to get out of high school, so they're going to present higher ed with a whole bunch of kids who come out of high school but need remediation, potentially, right. to get through. And that may actually extend their time in college
0: even that much more. Or dissuade them from sticking around.
2: Right. right. This is one of the texts or the subtexts, you know, depending on who you talk to mm-hmm. about the governor's race. Uh, Robert Draper has a new story out in mm-hmm. um, the New York Times Sunday magazine about the whole Wendy Davis thing and, and sort of touches on this idea that she, you know, on paper wants to be talking about education and instead is talking about biography and all of these kinds of things. Um you know, where's the governor's race now? And and what do you think of this Draper thing?
3: I thought the Draper story was just so it was great and had a lot of details that hadn't come out in a long time. Um it's particularly uh, just her background. You know, Wayne Slater's story got all this attention for, you know, whether how how it presented her uh, her upbringing and her uh, her raising her kids and getting a college degree. Draper's story just almost because he had more room, he really gave it a much more even look. Mm-hmm. and i one of the things that struck me was uh the job that she had
2: uh is it safeco title safeco though? yes it yeah. was uh,
3: when she was a city councilwoman she was known in fort worth as Uh, a title attorney with this company, Uh, and it was her husband's company. And uh, Draper quoted someone at the company who said that it was basically just a a ceremony, a title. She didn't work at all. He did quote. That
0: was an unnamed source. Right. Right. Some like former employee your current Safeco employee who said it was like an in-name only thing and that she wasn't actually working there.
3: And we don't know if he actually gave uh, Wendy Davis a chance to respond to that.
1: Right. Let's let's stipulate that if Amon is uh, is impressed by a piece about Wendy Davis, he has been <laughs> he has been on the Wendy Davis and the Fort Worth beat longer than most of us, and mm-hmm. so that's a that's high praise. Look, R- Robert is a real journalist. A real journalist was deployed on this story, or right. a whole lot of real journalists out in the world, uh, not working in the Texas press corps on an active basis right now. So Robert has a certain amount of credibility coming back to do this story.
3: And what's fascinating is he was talking to her before the filibuster. He was clearly interested in her, separate from her meteoric political eyes. And, you
1: know, I I thought his piece in Texas Monthly was good. I thought this piece was, you know, kind of leaps and bounds ahead of that piece in terms of what, as you say, the detail that it provided that we didn't actually have before.
0: My favorite part about this story, I have for years now been trying to figure out a way to describe the facial expression that Wendy Davis makes. (laughs) Seriously. And Robert described it as equal parts drowsy and sly, which is exactly right I mean, for anyone who's ever had like a – I'm sorry. I know this is a silly minor point. No, it's It's true. But for anybody who's ever had like a long conversation with her like I have over the years with some of the stories that we've written, that is her in a nutshell. You can't tell if she's about to take a nap on you or if she's thinking some mischievous thought. And And I thought that was really well done.
3: And I just wonder if that's going to be more noticeable when she's on the trail with Letitia Van de yeah, who is the – I don't know what the opposite of drowsy, but sly is, but she is. <laughs> yeah. The
1: conversation Ross and I had this morning was to what degree is the rest of the country as interested in this story as we are here for obvious reasons? Mm-hmm. And as Robert
0: – Well, the New York Times Clodic Magazine was? must <laughs> think
1: they are. Well, what that what that says is uh, they believe Wendy Davis is a national
0: – Everywhere thing. I travel, people out- – outside of Texas, everywhere I travel, people ask about Wendy Davis. About that big race, you guys have a governor's race. Yeah, Wendy Davis. They don't know much about her except for the filibuster, but people are really interested in her. We have a
2: big personality on the Democratic side, Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure we have a full governor's race. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think, sort of the tension here is whether the Democrats can turn this into a real competitive actual race for governor, you know, whether this changes the conversation or whether it's really, you know, we're watching – uh, uh, you know the formation of a star in, in Texas mm-hmm. politics that who may or may not win a race.
1: Do you think she came across Emily better in this piece? So somebody who read this piece who didn't know much about her did they have a higher impression of her? After the piece, than before.
0: This I thought was the best explanation of the work that she did in Fort Worth, mm-hmm. the the sort of line she walked as being a, a you know a liberal woman in a conservative place, and really emphasizing economic development. I mean, I, I think there's a very strong argument to be made that she walked a great line while she was there and on the city council, and a lot of that has gotten lost in the fuss over the bio and you know who's telling the truth and you know the abortion stuff. I don't know, Aman. You covered, you know, Fort Worth. Didn't you cover city you council? Covered and this there, specifically, yeah. did right. you? In, in yeah, and, and,
3: and Draper brought up a, a little issue that hasn't come up much just because it was so tiny. But Kim Breimer tried to get her off, kicked off the ballot. And first firefighters mm-hmm. that were aligned with uh, Kim Breimer tried to get her off the bat kicked off the ballot when she challenged him. And and then Breimer came out. I think the judge said the firefighters didn't have standing. So then Breimer came out and filed like almost the identical lawsuit and did it himself. And it was just it showed you how scared. The Republicans were of her in Fort Worth, and even though, why
1: why were they scared of her?
3: I think a lot of it had to do with her story, and just that she, I think she just came off as more. polished than uh, any other Democrat in Tarrant County at the time
2: well and she was a she was a Tarrant County Democrat who could command some support from the business community that other Tarrant County Democrats haven't been able to pull off exactly yeah right. I also she think had some downtown the, money the,
0: the way that Draper I thought he very fairly laid out this the information on the inconsistencies in her story and held her accountable for it but when I read them the way he sort of listed them out you know 19 you know was it 19 not 21 you know x months in a trailer park versus you know the actual amount of time it was I read those things, you know, straightforward in Draper's piece, and I felt like, okay, really, this is, you know, this well, is the worst that it is.
2: So this is an interesting question. Is this is does this race proceed on the bio argument, or does he go to? Do we end up with other arguments where we're talking about economic development or education or? Whatever,
1: And he makes that point. I thought, again, not to, to mm-hmm. blow more smoke up Draper's skirt on this, but I actually thought that he articulated the tension at work in the biography piece of mm-hmm. this, as well as anybody has, that she wants to be both I'm awesome – And special on the one hand, and I'm just like you on the other hand. Mm -hmm. That that's the tension in the bio stuff, is that somehow she's exemplary and extraordinary for all the things she's accomplished, but at the same time, she's just like the rest of us. And it's hard to really walk that line, speaking of lines, walked, and to have that both ways. The one thing I will say, I've been a little slow to embrace the idea that there's been sexism uh, in the coverage of her biography, simply because I believe in these days... In these days, if a male candidate, Greg Abbott, had had seeming inconsistencies or inaccuracies in his bio, press would be crawling all, up, you know, crawling all over him for that. The press has a tendency to crawl all over people running for office who say they're one thing and, in fact, their biography has been shaded or, or told uh, right. inappropriately. I don't think that's about gender. However, the headline of the New York Times Magazine story is, can Wendy Davis have it all? And my reaction to that was – Please. did
2: we litigate this about four podcasts well, ago? <laughs> you know, you, would would you have?
1: You know, can Mark Warner have it all? Nobody would be questioning that. I just mm-hmm. think that it 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 may be it may honestly be a headline writer's cleverness in trying to play off the Anne Marie Slaughter thing in the Atlantic, Atlantic and saying, crime. you know, but but I think we, we need to stop asking questions of whether female candidates can quote have it all unless we're prepared to ask whether male candidates. Well, but you can, al- quote, have
2: also it all. have to you also have to at the same time acknowledge. Or think about whether there is a sexist thing going on in the electorate, you know, and you have to talk about what the electorate's going to move on. Is the electorate going to take a woman paying child support while her kids are with her spouse while she's in school the same way that they would take it? if it was a man going to school and a woman at home. And, and it, yeah. you know, I'm not going to answer that, but I think it's a question, and I think it's one of the questions in this race.
1: I, I think that the issue of whether Wendy Davis is a good mother is no more appropriate for the voters to consider as they look at her in the governor's race than it is for them to consider whether Greg Abbott's a good
2: dad. I think we get to hear about that until November. <laughs> I do. Mm-hmm. Um, let, uh, really quickly, let's touch on the other bottle rocket here. Ted Cruz has not endorsed anybody until, um, I guess you were looking at his Twitter account last night.
3: Yeah, uh, last night he endorsed four, what he called four conservative Republican Texas Supreme Court justices running for re-election, Jeff Boyd, Jeff Brown, Nathan Hecht, and Phil Johnson. And he has refused to endorse John Cornyn. But
1: not so conservative that they don't have challengers. I mean, the irony is like- at All least, three of them have challengers, right? Yeah, I mean- All
3: four of them. Oh, uh, right. Well, no, Republican challengers, I've actually
1: Robert Tarleton is challenging Nathan Peck, presumably on the assumption that he's not uh, conservative enough.
2: I think he's on the assumption that he's not Robert Talton. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mark Lanier and some other Republican lawyers have, have, have put up a slate against these guys. And, you know, what's interesting is Cruz, as you say, has been very carefully avoiding actually saying the endorsement word, right, he's specifically s- against Cornyn.
3: He, he's, uh, he said very nice things about Katrina Pearson, who's running against Pete Sessions, and Ken Paxton, who's running for AG. And both of them are now using those words in advertisements. Well,
2: to, and Paxton's turned it into an ad. I don't, I don't see how anybody could come away from Paxton's ad saying anything except that Ted Cruz endorsed the heck out of that guy.
3: And Cruz did say some nice stuff about Cornyn at an event in January uh, after Cornyn introduced him at some GOP thing. and. You know, I've I've seen the quote, and it's 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 nice, but it's just not quite as.
2: He mixes a pretty good martini. Yeah, that,
3: it's, it's <laughs> just just not it's just not as uh, enthusiastic as it is has been for Pearson or um, uh,
2: Paxton. So, uh, I get, so is there a ticket emerging here? I mean, is there sort of a cruise ticket?
1: Sure, there is. There's just I mean, I think there's mm-hmm. a cruise ticket. I think the cruise ticket is the is something like Hager, Christian. For railroad commission, although Hager he hasn't said
2: anything about those two,
1: but I, but I'm thinking if you're if you're looking at the at the various slices of this, my suspicion is Paxton, Patrick, Hager, Christian, Sid Miller. I mean, that would be my assumption is that that's he's uh, you know bats right throws right right.
2: So we'll see what they do. Don't voting. you think? Yeah, voting starts next week as we tape this on Wednesday. But I do I, I do think that the point
1: about not about we'll continuing to not endorse Cornyn. I mean, it's one thing when he was saying effectively to us around the time of the Tribune Festival, you know, I'm just not going to get into this stuff. But, OK, now he's endorsing in, in nothing-burger Supreme Court races where the outcome is almost a certainty. It wouldn't matter if he
2: endorsed Jr.: And mm-hmm.
0: people are basically faking his endorsement by right. pulling together ads that make it look like he's endorsing And, and, and Cruz, to some yeah, extent, yeah. is talking to Iowa and, and, and I saying, I, realized, I didn't endorse that guy who looks like right. Mr.
2: Establishment look, over there. Look, I
1: movie. realize that Stockman – got in this race and people thought Stockman is going to try to bid for that Tea Party wing of the party. At this point, Steve Stockman may be the best proof that Andy Kaufman is still alive. The Steve Stockman campaign is playing like a prank.
2: His mugshot is playing like a prank. Well, and
1: I, and I and honestly, and kudos to Amon, who's not necessarily gotten all the credit he deserves on this for, for breaking uh, the story uh, that others have now picked up and not always credited back to you of, of, sort of Stockman's run-ins with the law. But the Stockman campaign at this point, how can the Cruz folks, if they are saying this, say we don't want to disrespect Stockman or Stockman's voters and endorse Cornyn? At this point, it's like
0: – But it's not about Stockman. It's about Cornyn. I mean that's
1: – Then come right. out and say it's about Cornyn. Come out but, and say I'm not comfortable endorsing Cornyn but, as opposed to pretending that you know, you're not quote, comfortable unquote, endorsing, period.
0: I, I was reading this town about you know how all the, the rules of sort of Senate decorum and how they you know don't – crap all over each other publicly. It's about Cornyn, but he doesn't want to say it's about Cornyn because then he's said it's about Cornyn.
3: And then he's kind of expected to say, well, who should we vote for then? Which, yeah. all, which all
2: supports the general theory that this is just high school with exactly. money. You
1: know, I was remembering that we mm-hmm. asked Cor- we asked a Ted, Ted Cruz at the festival. I asked Ted Cruz not only about Cornyn, but about also Matt Bevin, who was challenging Mc- uh, Mitch McConnell in the Kentucky primary, and he wouldn't go there mm-hmm. either. Maybe he figures if he endorses one, he has to endorse all or the implied non-endorsement is what people mm-hmm. will take from it. So if you're going to endorse Corner but you're not endorsing McConnell, that must mean you're endorsing Bevan. Maybe his point is, I'm just not going to get into any of these Senate races because it would require me to
0: take a, to, stand. To
1: take a stand on every single race.
2: Right. Mm. All right. All right. Well, now that you're thoroughly confused, we've come to the end of our time here. <laughs> um, I am not Reeve Hamilton, and but on my behalf and on behalf of Mr. Mashed Potatoes, I'm Ambatheja, Emily, and our producer, Todd Wiseman. This is the TripCast.
0: And Reeve, we really look forward to coming back from your eHarmony cruise. <laughs>
2: Zing.
1: Do you know how many days in a row I've attempted to stay up to watch Last True Detective and I've fallen asleep? (laughs)